0: going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Well, I'll read through 12, but we won't get all the way there today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How well do you know yourself? I'm not asking basic statistics. I'm asking how well you know yourself, what you're really like, what you're made for, what you're capable of me tweak that question a a little bit here for you and explain a failure to know the true answer to those questions leads to a failure to properly know and enjoy God as his people to properly live in light of who we are in Christ and what that looks like and means. So let's set the stage for the the Sermon on the Mount and we'll get to what it is, who it's for, but to do that I have to give you a caveat. Do you remember all those times in the Bible when Jesus shared the gospel and told people to trust in him as their personal Lord and Savior? Remember John 3, he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to trust in me as your personal Lord and Savior. You need to invite me into your heart so you can go to heaven, right? Remember that? I hope you don't exactly remember that because it's not what he did. You remember all those times where where Jesus would sit down with someone and share his credentials? I'm the son of God. I've come from heaven. I I am sinless. I perform miracles. Look at my resume and accept me. Invite me into your heart. Remember those examples? Remember when he shared the gospel and said, if you believe in me, you won't go to hell, but you'll go to heaven. It's not that those things are totally wrong, but they're not quite right. And I'm going to show you how here in a moment and why this matters. Have you noticed yet how many times our Lord speaks of the kingdom in Matthew? When I show you this, you're going to see it all over the place. But just go back a a speck here to 417. You guys remember 417 from a a couple weeks ago? Jesus preached, and when he preached, he preached, repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go, go a little further down to where Quran was last week in 423. He went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of what? 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 The kingdom shows up again. Look at 5.3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? Theirs is what? Now, I'm going to let you know, if you keep looking through Matthew, It's everywhere. All of the Gospels, it's everywhere. Kingdom languages, everywhere in the Gospels. Our Lord speaks in kingdom terminology constantly. You ever hear the Gospel in kingdom terminology? Remember John 3, Nicodemus, the born-anew thing? Why did Jesus tell Nicodemus one must be born anew? In order for what? Huh, some kingdom terminology. To enter the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, synonymous. Do you understand the gospel is good news in that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son? We have become citizens of the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. And what we have before us is not this good news that if you invite Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, you go to heaven. That's not the gospel. There's a benefit of the gospel that you go to heaven. But the gospel is good news that you are dead and alive and you're alive as a citizen of a new kingdom. And as one born anew with new desires, a new heart, a new disposition, new abilities, you will live as citizens of this new kingdom. That's a radically different way to present the gospel. The problem is how we tend to hear the gospel leads to self-centeredness and laziness. We see God as existing for my personal benefit, as my personal Lord and Savior. It's not that he's not your personal Lord and Savior, but you treat God like an only child through that form of a gospel. If all you're after is getting to go to heaven and not going to hell, it's no different than those last week who showed up for a healing. There's benefits in the gospel, but the gospel is about becoming citizens of a new kingdom. And you know how you know the difference between a real, live, honest-to-goodness Christian and a false professor? Stick with me through the Sermon on the Mount. We'll slow walk it, but eventually we'll get to chapter 7 and we'll see about a tree being known by its fruit. Here's the thing. You can't make yourself act like a Christian. You can't make yourself a Christian. No more than a, a leopard can change his spots or my dog can choose to meow. They can't do it. But what we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount is instructions from our Lord and how his people are to live in light of who he has made them by his spirit. This should be massively encouraging to those who are saved and by God's grace, hopefully enticing those who are not into new life in Christ. So when I say, who are you? What are you like? Are the first things that come to mind? I am poor in spirit. I mourn. I am meek and I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that how you think of yourself? Is that how you would describe yourself? Because if you're in Christ, your foundational defining mark is poverty of spirit. Now, trust me, if you're saved, it's there. It may not be everywhere. It may be not robust, but but it's there and we can cultivate it. But if you're not in Christ, you can fake it, but you'll never make it. When we don't understand this, we make a mess of the gospel and we fail to underjoy. It's a new word I made up. Underjoy means understand and enjoy. Good, write that down, put my name on it, under joy. I'll never use it again. We fail to understand and enjoy Christ in light of who he is, and we for who we are in Christ. So notice, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Sermon on the Mount is instruction for followers of Jesus. Not the crowds, though the crowds can hear it's for those who have been born anew already in Christ. So think visible church. You have an inner mixture in these disciples of genuine believers, false professors, and hanger honors for who knows what reason. Kind of like a church. Watch, we'll go ahead and show who's who. With all the hanger honors for weird, put your hands up. I'm kidding, don't do this. But watch how this plays out. Our Lord gives us this marvelous, marvelous instruction for believers He's not saying, so, so let's get this out of the way. He is not saying, if you want to be saved, do these things. He's not saying, if you're saved, don't worry about these things. No big deal, it's kind of like extras if you want to supercharge faith. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, if you are saved, these things are true of you and will demonstrate themselves in your life. To the extent you steward your identity in Christ, you will enjoy God as you live in light of these things. But they are there if you're saved. Y'all tracking with me? Can we address my pet peeve? Which should be your pet peeve? First of all, syllables matter. This first word here in verse 3, B-L-E-S-S-E-D, blessed. And not blessed. They are, that only works when you're singing, blessed be the name of, the, that. you lose the whole song. Blessed be the name, your notes are off. Blessed. But please be careful. Achoo! Bless you. Mm, what does that mean? Am I blessed? When we get up before a, before a sporting event, what do we sing? God bless America. Well, that's if you're at Yankee Stadium in the seventh inning stretch. God bless America, we demand this of you. You better hear us, draw near us, or we're all coming quick after you. We want blessing. I'll stop. Do you ever think about the audacity of, of telling God to bless America? Forget Canada, they don't matter Venezuela, neither two. What does that mean? What is God supposed to do? How about this? Sing this song? You sing later. We'll sing together later. <laughs> the, the praises go up. What comes down? The praises go up. The blessings come down. Prosperity songs are bad for you. What, what does it mean when you say I am so blessed? This is such a blessing. You have to count your blessings. Have a blessed day. Quran and I were meeting once with someone and they walked into the room and Quran, I'll blame it on Quran because he's out there right now. And the person, Quran says, how are you? The person says, oh, I'm blessed. And Quran goes, what does that mean? Wait, well, what, what do you mean? There he is. You remember this? What do you mean you're blessed? I'm like, good for you. I ruined him. Now my word ruins him. So what it is is, are we saying that the kingdom of heaven is mine? I am comforted. I shall inherit the earth. I am satisfied. I've received mercy. I rejoice that I shall. Is that what we mean when we say blessed? Or have we totally corrupted the term in some sort of Christianese vernacular, which is like the culture? I'm good. I'm blessed. Let's not lose the term because to be blessed is to be wholeheartedly content and joyous. Wholeheartedly content and joyous. Does that explain you right now? It can in Christ. But let's not water it down. When you sneeze, go ahead and say bless you. It's culturally appropriate, but it has to do with some sort of evil spirits coming out when you sneeze. We call those things snot germs. But what we should yell is duck and cover. What what we are after is understanding God's blessings, empower and sustain his people, refreshing our faith and renewing our hope so that we can meet life's challenges. God's blessings empower his people and sustain them, refreshing our faith and renewing our hope so that we can meet life's challenges. If we want to enjoy God's blessing, if we want to be blessed, Jesus says, live in light of who you are. Y'all with me now? hope this will be a blessed sermon for you. I don't know whether you should laugh or not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who here is poor in spirit? Now remember what I said. If you're truly saved, you're poor in spirit. So if you're saying your hands should go up, but there's a follow-up question, and there's a trauma from me preaching to you for too long that nobody puts their hands up if they've been here. What does it look like to be poor in spirit? I think I'm a miserable, worthless, good-for-nothing, pathetic fool. Joy, joy, joy. How do you know when you're poor in spirit? Well, we live in a you-can-do-it world. Bobby Boucher, Si Se Puede. That was uh, President Obama's campaign slogan. We, we can do it, right? Yes, we can. We live in a world of you-can-do-it. You have what it takes. Hard work and determination is all you need. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You do you. You go to the bookstore and you get a self-help book. You do your own research. Who needs the experts? Where are the experts? DIY. Right? Well, that's antithetical to poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is I can't. Poor in spirit is I don't know. Poor in spirit is I desperately need help. It's not until you stop believing in yourself that you can enter the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? It's not until you stop believing in yourself that you can enter the kingdom of God. We are all about self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-accomplishment, self-help. We need to understand those things are demonic through and through. We need to be Jesus-confident, Jesus-sufficient, see Jesus' accomplishment, and cry out to Jesus for help. And that's what poverty of spirit is about. This does not mean you curl up in a fetal position on the floor and cry, I can't. Sometimes it means get up and do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm not encouraging the men, if someone breaks into your house, to just start crying and yelling to your spouse, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm poor in spirit. No, that means you're a wimp and a wuss. That's very different from poor in spirit. We need, though, to slow down and understand that our wisdom, our power, our reputation, our education, our ability, our money cannot save us and cannot help us to properly navigate life. The problem is, we forget all the time. Do you ever slow down and think about what it looks like to live forgetting poverty of spirit? See, here's what's hard. Sometimes people accuse me of preaching a sermon directly at them. Well, guys, I, I do know most of you pretty well. And preaching does entail an audience in mind. Like, this would not apply just as well in any context. Understand, if I was invited to preach at another church and I started singing my wacky songs... Yeah, that wouldn't go so well. But there's an aspect where I'm not ever preaching deliberately, directly at a particular person. That's one-on-one discipleship. I'm pretty good at pulling that off, too. But you're all going to feel a rub here because it applies to, to almost all of us, I should say. People regularly explain to me how they're unable to do something because of something going on in their life. I'm not going to be able to gather with the church next Sunday because or this time of year, I'm not able to gather with the church because or I'm not going to be a Bible study because or again, I, 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 all of you have said this in some measure along the way. In fact, I have said it, I'm sure, somewhere along the way. But here's the question of why. Are you busy with work? Do you have a family obligation opportunities at leisure entertainment that calls you or is it God who is directing you away from that for his glory? Are you trusting in your wisdom, power, reputation, education, ability, money, and ways, or God's? All over the place, all over our lives, we trust in our own ability, in our own wisdom, in our own permission. You ever hear this? I wish I could, but I can't afford to steward my time, talent, or treasure, how God calls me to. That's a problem. It's a problem of poverty of spirit. It's not a problem of one being saved or not. It's about enjoying God in light of who he is. Here's the kicker. Enjoying Christ begins with understanding he is wise, we are dumb. He is strong, we are weak. He is good, we are not. As we walk in his will and his ways, we enjoy him and we live a blessed life. My dream trip on the private jet to Fiji where I get my rental Bentley will not give me contentment and joy. It will give me glee and happiness for the two weeks that I'm there but it's not going to deliver what you would assume it can deliver. In fact, though, you can have true joy if you never left the confines of your house as a blind paraplegic if you truly knew Christ and rested in him and his goodness and love for you. We have to put in the effort of slowing down. We're pretty good in a Reformed church with justification by grace alone through faith alone, not by anything that I do. Amen? But maturing in Christ, here's where we make a mess of it. You can't mature yourself in Christ either. But you can follow Christ who will mature you as you trust in him. Poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want to talk about an inheritance to come. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Anybody here marked by a disposition of mourning? What does that look like? Here's the problem in Christianity. You ever come to faith or meet someone who came to faith and you try to change your personality to be a Christian? So like you used to be a fun person to be around. You come to faith in Christ and then you're just like the, a wet blanket. You know, it's like, oh, I, I trusted in Christ for, for salvation. and So I don't listen to the radio ever. I don't smile. I don't eat treats. I just read the Bible at home and pray for other people. Oh, wow. How can I have that life? What is it? What does it look like tomorrow? Does it look like you get up in the morning and go, oh my, the world is so bad. There's going to be another war in Israel. There's probably another pandemic coming. (laughs) I'm probably dying of pneumonia now. You call your relatives, but they're not always going to be there. Boo-hoo, it's so sad. Look how big the cemeteries are. Everybody goes there. You know why they have fences? People are dying to get in. Ha-ha, <laughs> uh-huh, it's not funny. It, is that what mourning looks like? It's just a miserable, depressed... But, but the world tries to go the other way with, with Louis Armstrong. I see skies of blue. I can only go so far he says to himself what a wonderful world there's good in the world but it's not that wonderful it's falling apart under the effects of the pollution of sin The creation groans right have you ever noticed the appalling condition of humanity and you know it's not just out there it's in here that the human condition is an appalling condition it's It's sad. Have you ever noticed how wrong death is, how sad death is, how how overwhelmingly depressing death can be? Have you ever noticed everything you do in this life, nobody's going to remember you 150 years from now? You want to leave a legacy, it ain't going to work. Anything you build is like a sandcastle on the beach. It's going to get trampled. You came into the world with nothing, you leave with nothing, which isn't totally true. So what does mourning look like? Well, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. What does that even mean? How about this? When life gives you lemons, praise God that he's sovereign and he loves you and suck on the lemon while you have to. It doesn't sound that good, does it? But here's what mourning is. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be what? comforted. Mourning is a sadness that leads to joy. It's grieving the depravity and vileness of, and corruption of the human condition and the state of the world, yet knowing the king has come, the king is here, and the king will return again. The human condition is appalling, but the human condition will not always be appalling, and in the kingdom of God, the human condition is being sanctified away from appalling to increasing Christ likeness. It is a believer knowing that all things will be used for the good of those who love God, but you don't see exactly how or why in the immediacy of the moment, but you can trust God in the moment that his promises are true. Are you tracking with me here? So our job is not to live distracting ourselves from the depressing reality of a fallen and sin-polluted world, but to look to Christ through the pollution of sin and the depravity in the world and see that there is hope, there is joy, there is comfort, and there is a purpose behind all that God does. For if we do, we will enjoy a position of being blessed in Christ, knowing that we have a comforter in Christ Jesus himself. Amen? Isaiah 40, Menachem, Menachem, comfort, comfort, O my people. Christ is the comforter who has come to comfort those who mourn, yet we live in a world where the culture tells us, do everything you can to avoid mourning. Have you ever noticed that? We outsource and hide sad and scary things. As believers, we can look into the eye of scary things and know that the scariest thing out there, death, has been defeated. Jesus killed death. We are able to rest and rejoice in the comfort of knowing who the Lord is, who we are in the Lord, and all the Lord has promised to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Watch the tie-in, though. In order to mourn, you have to understand poverty of spirit. I've been reading a news article about this billionaire who is doing these medical things to try to de age himself? Have any of you seen this? It's utterly ridiculous and sad. It's like Lex Luthor. He, he's trying to recreate an 18 year old body inside and out in almost a 50 year old man. Now, if it works, in fairness, I'm doing this, but anyway. <laughs> it's, it's a failure. To, rea- to live in light of reality that you can't do it, but what we try to do in the flesh is be God. I can save myself. I can de-age myself. I can. No, you cannot. But Christ can. Meekness. You ever met a meek person? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Anyone here meek? Anyone here saved? If you're saved, you're. What does it look like? You ever meet a meek person? You should how would you what is well humble sort of problem with humility? How do you identify humility? Oh, I'm the most humble person in the world. Oh, now you're not humble anymore. How, meekness. Describe meekness to me with a word different than humility. What how do you live meekly? Strength under control. Strength under control. You know the later in Matthew, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. The word gentle, praus in the Greek. You know what the word for meek is in the Greek? Prouse, same word, English translation issue there. I am meek and lowly. Jesus is meek, which is why he wears the clean white robes and walks around like this. I am Jesus. Trust in me as your personal Lord and Savior. I I don't think that's how Jesus walked around. I'm just saying. Here's the reality. You know know the original Superman movie where, where Clark Kent got beat up in the diner? And then he comes back at the end of the movie and beats up the guy who beat him up. Y- y'all don't know this? All right. If someone threatened to jack Jesus, they didn't have cars back then, you can't carjack them. Okay. You understand Jesus could whoop you. Like, y'all got that. He was the baddest man on the planet. Jesus could knock out Mike Tyson. One punch—it's all. In fact, he can knock him out without coming in the ring. That's the amazing. But he's meek. Power under control. Ability used in the will of God to the glory of God and love for others, not for personal gain. A meek person. Listen, this is where you have to be careful as a Christian. Your personality doesn't change. Your heart changes. Remember Peter. Peter was fiery, boisterous. He was always out there. He was getting into tussles. And Peter was a cool dude. Came to faith in Christ, and all of a sudden, I am gentle and lowly. Oh, they're going to steal Jesus! Stop it! Stop it! What did he do when they came to take Jesus? Remember the guy Malchus? Where? Jesus, like Peter, seriously, like (laughs) meek buddy. Power good, control necessary. Same Peter, new heart. He's got, he's got to get that, that fieriness under control. You don't lose the fires, Brothers and sisters in Christ, embrace the personality God gave you and pray for meekness in Christ that that personality would be under control. There, there's a, a danger about Christ, but that danger in your favor under control is a joy in Christ. I've shared my dogs help me think of meekness. I watched Charlie do dumb things with the dogs where he's like, he grabs a ball and puts his hand in their mouth. It's not really a dumb thing. But you sit there, and he's like, oh, they could bite my whole hand off. He's right. These are large German shepherds with high bite power. They, they can, you watch them chew on these toys they have at night. These solid rubber things. And he puts his hand in their mouth. He shouldn't have a hand, but there's a meekness. There's a control of their power. They, they can do great harm. Or they can use it for good. These are dogs, friends. We are people. We are image bearers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, meekness is using the abilities that the Lord has entrusted to you for his good and the good of others ahead of even your own. The way you identify a meek person is you see a person who is teachable. You see a person who isn't always trying to defend themselves. A person who doesn't demand to get their own way but rather a person who is amazed at how God could love them and save them and rejoice in what God has promised to them is a fight to live in light of what God calls them to. Anybody here married? Think of what marriage is like in the flesh. I want my way. She wants her way. Let's negotiate or battle. That's a lost person's marriage. And a lost person has a healthy marriage when they've simply learned how to do this in a sophisticated way. A Christian marriage is a meek marriage. It is where here's what I want, but here's what Christ wants. Not my will, but yours be done. How do I live to serve my wife and as I love her, as Christ calls me to serve her and love her? How does she do the same for me, not considering our own interests, but the interests of others ahead of ourselves? There's meekness. Why would you come to church today? Did you come meekly or did you come selfishly? Did you come to get benefit for yourself? Or did you come to be of benefit to others? Did you come to be encouraged or did you come to encourage others? Did you come to glorify God or did you come for the benefits that you want from God? Did you come to get your boost or did you come to raise your voice in praise to God? Meekness is an impossibility to muster up on your own, but it's an impossibility to not see in your life if you're in Christ. Now, I'm going to stop here today. I'm not going to stop here now. Don't get all excited. Give me five more minutes. But we're going to finish the Beatitudes off next week. But what I want you to see in these three, these are the foundations. These are where all of the others build, and they build one on top of another. But being a believer, being a child of God, is not about trying to do the things Jesus calls you to to make him happy. It's very much like a child is born. All right? Each of my kids, Charlie being the most recent, they they got ripped out of a cozy, dark environment and thrown into a cold, bright world. And they start, "Ah, ah," and what are they looking for? They're looking for comfort. I remember Charlie when he was all little cute in his little bassinet coming down the hallway. He was holding on to my little pinky. And and I was so happy he stopped crying when he's holding my pinky. That's new life in Christ. You come, you come to new life in Christ, and all of a sudden, everything's upside down, disoriented, makes no sense, and good luck figuring it out. Here's where we go wrong, church. Imagine the baby's born, and we say to the baby, good for you, enjoy life. That's what Christians experience. Oh, you're, you're a new creation in Christ. Good luck. How about, like, how do you walk? Which is why my boys walk pretty good, amen? They could even run. They can balance on one leg. Some of that they learn, but some of that you can hinder. They learn to ride bikes. There was some trauma involved. I won't tell you which child it is. We have this problem with the second and third child because Cameron rode a two-wheeler pretty early. So I'll give a name away. I won't. Well, JJ is literally under three and decides he has to ride a two-wheeler, no training wheels. He pulled it off. But J.J., on S2, riding a bike with no training wheels, flying down the street, looking the wrong, the wrong way. It's so sad, I'm laughing. He crashed into the back of a parked pickup truck. And whoo, the bike went under the pickup truck, and J.J.'s laying there, and Laura's not at home, and I'm going, oh my goodness, and that, that's what happened to J.J. That's where he got stretched out. He's not actually that tall. There's some trauma that comes along the way, but there's instruction that's needed is my point. As believers, there's instruction that's needed so we might know who Jesus is and how to live with him. Where do I come up with it? Go and make what? Disciples. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. When you come to faith in Christ right at birth, you are poor in spirit, you mourn, and you're meek. But you have no idea what those things are, how to cultivate them, and have to live in light of those more and more robustly as you die to self. Yeah. So we share this gospel about a personal relationship with Jesus where he comes into your heart and you go to heaven, and it's not that those things aren't true, though technically I, that the word heart in the, in the Greek means kidneys, but that's awkward, Jesus coming into your kidneys. What the gospel is, is you are born anew as a new creation in Christ Jesus with new desires, new disposition, you have a whole new personality if you will a whole new person that lives with inside of you and then there's this other guy or gal that hangs out there too the new self and the old self and the joy in christ is living in light of the new self the new identity you have in christ while you get the death rags off of you while you get the pollution of sin away from you through the process of progressive sanctification it's the lord's work but you go ahead and labor in that we'll talk about that here in a moment but what we need to do is realize we have deformities and distortions because most of us as believers grew up without good, solid, biblical discipleship. And so we use strange words like blessed. We have differential understandings of easy or or more important words like gospel, God, church, justification, sanctification. And what we're doing here is having the opportunity by God's grace to hear our Lord Jesus Christ preach a sermon to us. Poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. You are not sufficient in and of yourself to earn God's favor, to live with God forever, and to enjoy his blessings and promises. You are not capable of growing in Christ likeness on your own. Not your way. You know, we, we, want, we want Burger King Jesus. We do it like you do it when we do it how we do it at Burger King. No. He does it how he does it. And our joy is submitting to him and trusting in him with a disposition of poverty of spirit. Slow down. Look at you. We're going to talk downstairs today in Sunday school about Sabbath, Fourth Commandment. Questions as simple as this. Y'all, God willing, keep breathing the rest of the day. Even if you stay through Sunday school, you have an entire afternoon, right? Right? What do you do with your Sabbath afternoon? Why do you do what you do with your Sabbath afternoon? Is it resting in God's commandment and provision and intention? Or is it more just kind of going with what I want to do based on uh, obliviousness and ignorance? Forget the Sabbath. How about all of life? The, the issue, the goal that we're after is getting to the point of saying to Jesus, Lord, I am a hot mess I've been trying my own way again and again, and and it just doesn't work. Unless, guys, if you're in your teens or 20s, you haven't felt. I remember when I was not old and people told me this. You got to get scarred from life the hard way or the easy way. When when you're somewhere between 5 and 27, you haven't been scarred enough yet. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And then you hear the old people like, you don't realize that. But anyway, but there's a joy, a beauty that comes with recognizing your way won't work. Jesus' way is so much better. Across the board, from from what you do with all of your time, talent, and treasure, poverty of spirit, we need to help and cultivate it in one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not sufficient on our own, but Christ is more than sufficient. Trust in his ways and his wisdom and his provision and his promises. More, I mean, you watch the news all week this week with the attacks in Israel and and the looming wars on the south side of Israel, on the north side of Israel, and you wonder what's going to happen with Iran or Russia or China. It's, you got two now, three carrier groups in the area the the eastern Med, and you're like going, that's kind of weird. That's a lot of military power is and you start thinking, this is crazy. And then you, you read the local news, and a kid got shot, and a person got run over, and a child got abducted, and a house burned down, and another business closed. And, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're not 18 anymore, and your body's going to hurt. And then, and then you, you go to sleep at night, and you're depressed. And, and, and life just kind of somewhat stinks. And it's also kind of wonderful mixed in, and it's a convoluted, complex mess. And here's the thing. Rejoice. I'll say again. Rejoice. God is who he says he is, and he will give comfort to his people. And we have a future where all of the suffering will become nothing more than a light momentary affliction, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So we who are poor in spirit are able to understand we can't change the world, but God can. God can recreate the whole world, and he will. And he started with his people. So we have the poverty of spirit, we have the mourning, and then we have the meekness. We have ability to do things. We have an ability to live for our own purposes, to satisfy our own desires in a self-glorifying sort of way. Even as believers, we can do this. Or we can live with the abilities, with the power that God has entrusted to us under the control of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And the good of others. Do you understand how antithetical that is? How rare it is that we live with a disposition. Jesus says, consider the interests of others ahead of your own. And we say to Jesus, okay, really? I mean, Jesus, let's be honest. It it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, There's an old adage in the world that says, nice guys finish last. I hate to break it to you. It's true on this side of glory. But in in the full run of history... You try getting into politics. You run for president of the United States. And you go with it, with a campaign approach of transparency, complete honesty, and meekness. How, how, how well are you going to do? But how well are you going to do in the kingdom of heaven? Well, it says right here that you shall inherit the earth. As we go through life, we live too short-sighted. I'll end here. Anyone here like to travel? Do you know where the word travel comes from? comes from the word travail. Do you know what the word travail means? To endure and suffer persistently. We tend not to think of travel as enduring and suffering in a persistent manner, but remember back in the day when, when people used to get in the Conestoga wagons and go west? It didn't go like this, hey, kids, get your stuff together. We're going to go in a years-long wagon train. A couple of your siblings might die along the way, and I don't know if there are rest stops, but it's going to be so much fun. It was a travail. Do you remember when, when Columbus came across the sea? Oh, I'm going to sit on the poop deck and enjoy the scenery. Willie, that's not what the poop deck's for. Sorry, boss. It, it wasn't a fun cruise across the ocean. It wasn't like taking the QE2. It wasn't a Viking cruise. It was a travail. Do you know what we miss in the world we live in? Listen, I, one of the things I want traveling to be adjusted so, that there's like some way like Star Wars where you stand in that thing and they and you end up where you're going. I want that. Because who wants to sit on an international flight, right? But if they could do you know what life is for the believer? It's a travail. The Bible uses the term sojourners. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We endure suffering persistently as we travel. Home to glory. Too often we lose focus of that. We we lose track of where we are and what we are and where we're going and we get stuck halfway to the destination and we want to give up because the trip is just not all we've hyped it up to be. My friends, I hope you feel slightly homesick because you're not home. I hope you don't feel like everything is perfect because it's not supposed to be yet. I hope you look around the world and you go, this is wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be because it's not. You're right. I hope you look at your own life and you go, what is wrong with me? This clearly isn't what I'm supposed to be like in Christ. Correct. And I hope you see through all of that that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd, is guiding us home to glory in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So embrace the gift of poverty of spirit, mourning and meekness for those are the people who shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, who shall be comforted, who shall be comforted and shall inherit the earth as well. We'll pick up four through the last in the Beatitudes next week. But praise God as you see these attributes true in your life. Encourage one another. To walk in light of these attributes that are certainly true to exist in all believers. And if you find they are not a marker in your life, or as you're loving and caring for someone else you see they are not true in them, rejoice that God still does save and cause people to be born anew, and encourage them in the gospel to turn to Christ and trust in him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, help us to also rejoice that of all of these Attributes you share in the Beatitudes, they're not all true of you. You do mourn, you are meek, you do hunger and thirst for righteousness. You are merciful, pure in heart, and a peacemaker. You, in fact, were persecuted for righteousness' sake, and others reviled you and persecuted you. But, Lord, you are not poor in spirit, because you are Lord Jesus, King of kings, and Lord of lords. You do not mourn over sin in your own life, but yet you subjected your life to the power of the Holy Spirit in, in your humanity to do the will of the Father in saving us. Yet in your divine nature, Lord, you are not poor in spirit. You are all capable, all knowing, all wise, and all powerful. Lord Jesus, help us to rejoice at what a mighty and great friend and Savior we have in you, one who was tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. One who understands what it's like to live as a man or a woman in this fallen world because you came to do that to save your people. But you didn't just save us to heaven. You didn't just free us from sin. You gave us new life in you. Lord Jesus, as you tell us, we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. We are not what we tend to think we are in Christ. We are so much better we are so much stronger we are so much more capable not in the abilities we have on our own but through abiding in you lord jesus help us holy spirit to live in light of being poor in spirit help us to mourn so we can enjoy your comfort help us to be meek so we can glorify you and love others rejoicing that we shall inherit the earth lord jesus let us marvel at the incredible love with which you loved us, and that while we were still sinners, you died for us, and you rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And in you, we have risen with you into new life in your name. Help us, Lord, to enjoy these privileges and responsibilities entrusted to us as citizens not of this world, but of the world to come, the kingdom of heaven. To your glory and in your name we pray all of these things. Amen.